So this morning, we, as we think about moms, we know that moms teach us a lot of things. They have taught us a lot of things through life. So I have a list here today of things that maybe your mom taught you that you reflect back on and you hear these sayings. Yeah, I heard that from my mom. Mothers teach us about foresight. She said, make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. <laughs> yes. Mothers teach us about logic. If you fall out of that tree and break your neck, don't come crying to me. Yes, all right, you guys, you guys have, okay, my mom wasn't the only one. Mothers teach us about maturity. Eat your vegetables or you'll never grow up. Yep. Mothers teach us about religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. Yep. Mothers teach us about time travel. If you don't get straightened out, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Yes. Mothers teach us about contradictions. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. Yep. Mothers teach us about contortionism. Will you look at the dirt behind your ears? Yeah. Mothers teach us about perseverance. You're going to sit here until you eat every last piece of that broccoli. I've done that with my kids. They've sat there for a long time. Mothers teach us about genetics. You're just like your father. <laughs> yep. And mothers teach us about weather. It looks like a tornado swept through your room. Yes, so mothers teach us a lot of things in life. I, as from the laughs, I can tell that either you heard your mother utter those words or the mothers in this crowd have uttered those words before. So this morning, we are going to look at a, a special mother in, in Judges. And I, this applies not just to the moms here. With the points we're going to look at in this passage, um, it applies to everyone. You're going to see these, these attributes that we see from this wonderful mother, Hannah, can be applied to every believer uh, in this room this morning. And just to give you, we're going to be in the, the, the beginning part of 1 Samuel, but before we get there, just to give you a little setup uh, that brings us to the context of this passage. In Israel, the situation is very bleak. The nation of Israel has been torn apart by a lack of leadership at this point in their history. In fact, in Judges 21-25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Sounds like chaos, doesn't it? A nation cannot stand that everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. The nation of Israel was often oppressed by the surrounding nations. God would appoint a judge to lead his people. But their freedom generally lasted only as long as that judge was alive. On top of that, many of the judges we find in Scripture, like the one Samson, the famous judge, had some fatal flaws. When we come to 1 Samuel, we're introduced to Hannah. And it's this time of Israel where it's just chaos. The people of Israel had turned their hearts away from God. They were not worshiping God at the temple and we'll see this morning a godly young lady who still worshipped. In this time of chaos, her heart was still drawn to the Lord. We're going to see five defining traits of a woman of faith. And the first one may surprise you. We're going to read the scripture here that goes along with this in a minute. But women of faith, they exhibit 
real problems. You know, one of the things that I love about the Bible, and I believe one of the reasons why we know the Bible is true, is the Bible shows the heroes of the Bible having issues, having struggles, failing multiple times. And when you have men like David that God says is a man after his own heart, committing murder and adultery and all of these things, you'd think, man, if, if, if he's the hero, you would think that, that they would write out all of his struggles and all of the things that, are, that uh, don't put him in a good light. But no, we see all of the heroes in the Bible, their life's struggles. You know, it's, it's easy to think that the heroes in the Bible were somehow different than we are today. You know, we might think that it's, it's tough to relate to them in the Bible because our lives are different, our culture is different than, than what it was back then. But actually the Bible is filled with real people who had real problems and who faced them with real faith. Let's start reading this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, There was a certain man of Ramathim, Zohim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Toha, son of Zuth, an Ephraite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. During this day, in this time in history, the woman was looked at as one who is to provide children. And in the culture of the Jew at this point, a barren womb was considered a curse, and Hannah would have been looked down upon in Jewish culture. People would have said that she was spiritually disturbed, socially disgraced, or emotionally depressed. But what we find in Scripture, and it's amazing how Scripture is written, so many of the other women of faith that we find in Scripture that Scripture honors are women who faced barrenness. Sarah, Abraham's wife. Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Rachel, Jacob's wife. Ruth, Boaz's wife. And Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. In Scripture, most of the childless women Scripture refers to them as righteous women, matriarchs of the faith. Let's keep reading here, verse 3. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. You know, this shows, even though you have a nation that has turned their back against God, you have a righteous man and his wife, Elkanah and Hannah, who are still going up and worshiping the Lord at Shiloh. When the whole culture was headed south spiritually, he still was, had his eyes upon the Lord. Elkanah swam against the tide of apathy and took his family to worship. He could have said, you know what? Nobody else is doing it. It's too far to travel. I just don't feel like it. I don't, I don't care for the minister there. I don't care for that priest. It's, eh, I don't want to get out of bed. Even if no one else was doing it, he still did his duty and took his family to worship. Verse 4. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. You know, something here in these, these verses show us about his devotion to Hannah. 
the sacrifice was a thanks offering, which allowed the worshipers to eat a part of the meat that was not worship, or that was not sent, used in worship, and offered to God. You know, Elkanah was devout in his walk with God, and he was devout to his wife Hannah. But he had a divided family. What we know during this time in culture is a lot of times you would have a man with multiple wives, and the reason why they would have multiple wives is it was of the Jewish culture, if your brother passed away, you would take his wife as your wife. And part of the reason for that was, in that time, a woman just couldn't go get a job. She was either had to go beg or turn to prostitution. And so as an act of love to provide for her family, he would bring her into as a wife um, into his household. Never in Scripture do we ever find that God... Um, approves of a polygamous relationship. Um, never in scripture is that taught. God's word actually teaches one wife for life, but we do see this happening in this, this culture. Even though these two wives did not get along, the most difficult thing that Hannah faced is the phrase that is repeated twice, and once at the end of verse 6. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. You know, I can only imagine how hurtful that must have been to see Penina with all of these children and for her to have no child and to desperately want one and then to have the, the prodding and just the, like, sticking it in the womb and the hurting of, God has not blessed you with the child. She was trying probably to help you know, Hannah to lose it, to lose her mind, to go crazy. Let's keep reading here in verse 7. How does she respond? So it went on year by year. This wasn't something that just happened you know, in a few days or months. This is something that's years in the making. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah... Why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? I might be going out on a limb here, but it seems like Elkanah is doing what many husbands do when their wives are upset. Instead of listening to her pain, he seems to be rationalizing her problems and her feelings. He's trying to solve when he should be seeking to understand. Some of you may have been hurt by some insensitive comments, either by your husband or from others. What I want you to understand today is that God sees your pain and he understands your pain. You are not alone. We see here this morning, first, that women of faith, they exhibit real problems. Hannah, she had a real problem problem. The way that she was viewed in society because of not having children, she viewed herself as a disgrace. We're going to see here women of faith express vibrant prayers. Hannah had some problems, but she didn't shut down. She didn't lash out at those around her. She expressed her faith in prayer. God uses our problems to get our attention and to teach us. Remember that. Because we are all facing problems in this life. Every single one of you walked into this room with a struggle 
and with a burden. And remember, God uses that to grow your faith. Let's read here, verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor, and no razor shall touch his head. Her weeping, her struggle, it didn't push her away from God. She drew closer to God in her struggle in life. And as a part of her prayer, she is making a vow. She's saying, God, if you give me a son, he will be dedicated to the Lord for his entire life. And her son will become a Levitical priest serving in the temple as a Nazarite. That's what we get there from when she said, no razor shall come upon his head. A Nazarite in the Jewish faith was bound by a vow to be set apart to the Lord's service, and he had to abstain from wine, was forbidden to cut his hair, and was not allowed to be around any dead body. We see Samson was another Old Testament character who had taken the vow of a Nazarite. And having worked through years of barrenness and the problems that this caused, Hannah realized a very, very important truth. Children are not just for parents. They're for the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Children are not just for parents, but they're for the Lord. All we have really doesn't belong to us anyways, does it? Everything that we have in this life the house you live in, the car you drive, the job that God gave to you, all of that is by God's grace. The children are a gift from the Lord. They are on loan to us. It is our job to parent, to shepherd, to train them to serve and honor God. And it says in verse 12, as she continued praying, to the Lord. This wasn't just some quick pop-up prayer that she was praying. This was a repeated request, bathed in tears, begging before the Lord. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Her quiet prayer had an unfortunate consequence when Eli the priest accused her of being drunk. You know, that, that says a lot about the culture at that time, how far the nation of Israel had fallen away from God, that you would have people walking into the house of the Lord drunk, drunk around the temple. When she had the opportunity to explain herself, Eli answered in verse 17, then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. 
This benediction that Eli gave to Hannah was a huge blessing. He didn't know quite what she was even praying about. She didn't tell him what she was praying for. But he gave her an amen to her request. And we're going to see here that her whole countenance changed. Verse 18, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Man, this is awesome. This is really cool. After spending time in prayer, her face was no longer sad. She left her concerns on the altar. She left her concerns there praying before the Lord, and she went away. Taking the burdens that she walked into the house of God with, turned them over to God, and left. Something is to be said about when we walk into this place of worship with our burdens and our struggles of the week, we pray, we give those over to God, and we leave here with a changed countenance, knowing that our God is in control. That our God is working and moving on our behalf. That we can leave here with confidence that our God not only knows our pain, sees our pain, but he's heard our prayers. Man, what confidence for us. It's said that Susanna Wesley, Susanna Wesley was the mother of Charles and John Wesley. If you know your history, they are the founders of the Methodist Church. And part of the, um, played a great part in the Great Awakening here in the early part of our nation's history. Susanna Wesley, it said, she spent an hour each day praying for her 17 children. (laughs) 17 children. She prayed that God would use them mightily. So we see that a women of faith, they express vibrant prayers. Number three, women of faith, they experience God's provision. Verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Man, a short time later, God gave Hannah her request. Her name in the Hebrew literally means heard of God. Every time she said his name, Samuel, she was reminded of the origin of her son. She was reminded that God heard her cries every time she said his name. I want to be careful here. Just because Hannah's prayers for a son are answered, that doesn't mean that you're going to receive everything that you pray for. We know that is not to be true. And sometimes that's God's grace on you because sometimes we pray for things and if God gives us everything we pray for, it would destroy us. So sometimes the things we pray for, it's out of God's grace and protection that he doesn't give 
that to us. But God loves to give us good gifts. According to Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, it says, How much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who asked him? When was the last time you poured out your heart to God about your struggles in life, your desires in life? When's the last time you poured out your heart to God about your children and how you want God to use them. God answered Hannah's prayer not just so she could have a baby. God needed a special prophet that he could work through. He allowed a time of barrenness in Hannah's life to bring a greater blessing than she could ever imagine. So we see women of faith experience God's provision. Number four, women of faith excel at keeping their promises. Many people make promises to God only to forget them when time passes or that struggle is no longer there, they're no longer dealing with it. Not so with Hannah. She fully intended to keep her promise because she knew that Samuel did not belong to her anyways. Hannah not only dedicated herself to her child, she dedicated her child to the Lord. She then brings Samuel to the house of the Lord when it says in, in a chapter, or verse 24, And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the child was young, then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am a woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my, my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. While she gave Samuel to her Savior, she never bailed on that promise. It says in the next chapter, in First Samuel chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. She didn't renege. She says, God gave me this child. I'm going to give him back to him to worship and to serve God in the house of the Lord. She loved him so much that she was willing to forgo a mother's greatest joy, that of bringing up her son and having him around her. She was committed to do whatever it took for him to reach his godly potential. Women of faith exhibit real problems. They express vibrant prayers. They experience God's provision and they excel at keeping their promises. And last of all, Women of faith, they explode in praise. They explode in praise to our God. We don't have time this morning to read all of the, the praise that Hannah gave. It is a beautiful psalm of praise. I would encourage you to go read 1 Samuel chapter 2 this next week in your devotion. But I want to point out here that there is no element of sadness at all that her son is serving in the house of the Lord. She has just dropped Samuel off with, 
at the temple, and now she breaks out into praise. She was thrilled to be a parent to a child that God was going to use. Verse 1, my heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Her heart is full of jubilation that she has the opportunity to have a child that is used by God. Now, notice she doesn't brag about how handsome Samuel is or how smart he is or how neat it is that he can say prayers at his young age. She overlooks the gift and she gives praise to the giver. There is no one else who is holy like the Lord, no one else who will be her rock like our God. Man, what a praise. What a testimony of praise. If, you were, if we were to keep reading through this First Samuel chapter 2, verse 3, she focuses on God's wisdom and knowledge, recognizing that he is the one who weighs the actions of men and women. Verse 6, she acknowledges God's ability to bring death and to make alive. In verse 7, she says, God is the one who sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. Hannah is a woman of faith. She endures years of silent suffering because of her barrenness and cruel harassment at the hand of her rival, Penina. She goes to the place of worship, knowing how painful it is, and she faithfully worships, pouring out her tears, pouring out her petitions to God. And when God answers her prayers, she not only keeps her promise, she explodes and prays. So just a few closing thoughts from today's passage. Ladies, you are of great worth to God, whether you have a child or whether you do not. Lift up your head and realize that God loves you for who you are, not what you do, and not what your children become. He understands your sorrow and your pain, and he will meet you right where you are. Another thought, mothers, make it your mission to give your children to the Lord for a lifetime of dedicated service. There is no greater purpose, there is no higher honor than to have your children grow up to serve the Lord all the days of their life. Samuel was greatly impacted by his mother and went on to become one of the most significant individuals in God's redemptive history. Samuel anointed the first king of Israel, King Saul. Samuel also anointed as the prophet the greatest king in Israel's history, King David. He was the one who played a part of that. Moms, you matter greatly to your kids and to the very future of God's mission on this earth. Do not look at that responsibility lightly. Another lesson that we learn from the life of Hannah is that each of us needs to be growing 
in our relationship with God. If you want your kids to learn about God and to love him with all of they, they, they have, it must first be real in your life. Do your kids see a passion in you for the things of God? Do they see in your life a desire to worship him, to love him, to serve him through your local church? No doubt Samuel saw that in his mother. If you want your kids to be brought up in a Christian home, make sure that Christ is at the center of your heart. If he is, then spend the rest of your life giving your kids back to him in service. The last thing that we can see today is God sees your pain and he hears your prayers. Do not forget that. We serve a God who is not made by human hands. We serve a God who is alive, who holds the universe in his hands, who knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants to hear the cries of our heart. God sees your pain and he hears your prayers. Do not neglect in your calls of prayer to him because God wants us to be in relationship with him. God sees your pain and he hears your prayers. What an awesome story of a woman of faith who God worked through her struggles and her pains to use not only her, but her son mightily for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the stories like this in the Old Testament. These stories remind us to our greater truth, the truth of our need for you, our need for redemption. God, I pray that as we think through these stories and we look at our sin and our need for a Savior, God, I pray that our hearts will be stirred, knowing that we need Jesus. We need Him in every area, every moment of every day. Lord, I thank you that you hear our prayers. God, I thank you that Jesus rose up out of that grave and that he sits at the right hand of the Father today hearing our petitions and he is interceding on our behalf in this very moment. Dear Lord, I know there are people that walked in this room with pain and heartache this morning. Lord, as we finish out this service, I pray that they... We'll give those burdens over to you, like Hannah, and they'll walk out if you're knowing that you are in control, and they are free from that worry, knowing that the God of the universe sees them and hears them. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.